to People Like Us, a podcast for and about third culture kids everywhere. I'm Jen Mohindra. I'm also a TCK and I have a Facebook group for TCK adults called, unsurprisingly, People Like Us. Hello and welcome to today's episode of People Like Us. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Heather Thorkelsen, dialing in from remote part of Sweden. Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. I'm excited to be speaking with you. Oh, my pleasure. So as always, I'm going to jump straight in with the first question. And that is, where did you grow up? Well, I'm originally from Canada, so I grew up in on the coast, on the um, west coast of Canada as a little kid. Then we moved to central Canada when I was seven. And then it wasn't until I was 14 that we actually moved abroad. So it's a bit later than some of the other TCKs that I know. Um, and at 14, we moved to Costa Rica in Central America, and this was in the early 90s. But I should preface that, or I should sort of back up for a second and say that my father was an airline pilot. And so from when I was very young, I think it was around eight, I started traveling with him pretty regularly. And our, our family would go on trips that weren't sort of what our friends' families were doing. Our friends' families were going to the typical destinations that Canadians go on holiday, like Cancun or Cuba or Florida or whatever, you know, and like, we would go to rural Brazil or like, China or, you know, some really unusual places. And so um, even before I officially moved abroad and sort of later discovered was the time when I became a TCK, I was having cultural experiences that my peers weren't having. And then coming back to rural Canada where we lived at the time and not being able to connect with my eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old friends at all. Cause they were just like, we don't even know what you're talking about. You know, and I had had these mm -hmm. weird transformative experiences and these like far reaches of the world, you know? So it's kind of, my TCK journey was a little unusual in that way. Mm, sounds like it. So what was the um, reaction that you got from your, your school friends? when you, you've been to all these weird and wonderful places? Well, most of them did, just didn't care. <laughs> they were just mm -hmm. like, we don't care. We don't know where Argentina is or like, you know, just super uninterested. And then some other kids, I can still remember today because these things stick with you, would say like, oh, you know, Heather, shut up. You're not better than us, you know, and kind of give me this like, stop it with your talk about, wherever it is you went. And, and actually, I was just a little kid. I was just excited to say like, oh my gosh, we went to this place and look at what we saw. And like, look, at the, like they have these weird jeans there. Look at these jeans that I got in Buenos Aires or whatever, you know? And it was never, at that age, you're not, you're not thinking about who's better than who. You're just excited about life, you know? And so I got a lot of either zero, neutral, we don't care, or Stop talking about these stupid places. You go like you're not better than us. And so my reaction was, okay, I'll bring them presents because if I bring them stuff from the places that I go, then they'll be interested, you know. And not with the feeling of wanting to bribe people, but I'm trying to share the experience with them, you know. So I would go weird places and I would bring back trinkets that had their like name engraved and stuff, and eh, like 
kind of helped a little bit, but not really that much because they still didn't really care. And I just ended up feeling, um, feeling frustrated because I was starting to see the world in a way that literally nobody else in my social sphere could even begin to relate to. And that, that was tough. Mm. Sounds like you got the bragging line, as I like to call it, from way back. Yeah. That, that experience of you're just talking about your everyday stuff and people think you're showing off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's hard. And especially when you're a kid, it's hard. Like, because you don't have the tools to mm. try to contextualize. And you don't even understand why you, like, why are your friends making you feel bad when you just want to bring them into the adventure, you know, like try to paint the adventure for them. And yeah, it was really, it's strange. It was strange for sure. <laughs> mm, absolutely. So then on to Costa Rica at 14, the traditionally classic, difficult, tricky age to move for TCKs, <laughs> just with the onset of puberty, that sort of 12 to 15, it's a tricky time for anyone. How was it for you? Oh my gosh, it was, it was hard, but it, it wasn't really hard for like, the reasons that you would think so yes it, it was sort of just after puberty and you're always a hot mess at 14 you know and trying to fit in and whatever but um we moved not because I had a parent in the military or missionary parents or hippie parents or any of the sort of standard TCK reasons to be honest I'm not 100% sure why we moved but what I understood was that um my parents had divorced when I was 10 and my father got custody of all three girls. We were three daughters, seven, 10, and 14. And my mom wasn't allowed to see us, but she would do stuff like go to our school when we weren't there or at the end of the school day, you know, and try to like talk to our teacher so that she could get some kind of an idea of how we were doing. And my dad hated that. And so over time, I think part of it was that he just wanted to live in the tropics because he was an airline pilot and he could live wherever he wanted. And part of it is that he didn't want to deal with any interfering family anymore. He just wanted to be able to do what he wanted to do and um, raise us however he wanted to raise us, which essentially falls into the bucket of neglect because he didn't really raise us. He just wanted to be able to like not have to deal with us. But in Canada, you have to take care of your children, right? I mean, social services will come after you if they, if they find out that nobody's taking mm. care of your children when you're in another country for work. So, um, so we moved to Costa Rica for that reason. It was only my, myself and my younger sister. My older sister was already in university at that time. And so it was just the three of us. And he was away for 50% of the time. So I was this little 14-year-old kid with my little 11-year-old sister in a country where we don't speak the language, trying to go to school every day, feed ourselves. Nobody, nobody's taking care of us, you know? And, um, and even when my dad was home, I mean, he wasn't someone who took care of us. He it was just like a man that lives in the house that you're trying not to get in trouble with, you know? Um, so it was really, really weird. It was a weird transition for lots of reasons and not the reasons that you would normally think of. And then of course, this is the first time that I'm going to a school with a completely different subset of students, right? Because the one benefit of being there is that I went to a private school. So it was an international school. I had, you know, 
like the students that were in my school were kids from all over the world. They, a lot of them had been moving from country to country for many years already. So they were like seasoned TCKs at this point. And I was like the little like Canadian kid, like, well, I've never lived abroad before, you know, uh. <laughs> I only speak one language. <laughs> all my friends speak five, you know? <laughs> so, um, but they were, they were the bright spot, you know, my friends, my school, my teachers, they were, they became like my family and my parents in a way, you know, because they were, my whole world revolved around school and school activities and being around them because otherwise I went home and I was mostly alone. So yeah, it's, it's a funny time to look back on because it was one of the hardest times, one of the most difficult times in my life for so many reasons, but it was also one of the best times in my life. And I was there until I graduated at 17. So it was a good chunk of time, good chunk of growing up happening. Sure. So it sounds like you went from being the bragging kid to the, the newbie TCK where the other kids would have had more to brag about, so to speak, than you. <laughs> well, not only that, but I was the poor kid. Like my dad was a pilot, sure. And, you know, that's a good job by all intents, you know, for all intents and purposes. But like all of my friends' parents were like CEOs of companies, diplomatic people. They all lived in these gorgeous gated communities and like my friends would come to school with their parents' drivers and stuff. And we lived in this like crappy little house up the hill and I walked to school every day. And like, luckily we had um, school uniforms because it was a private school. And I'm so thankful that we did, Jen, because when we went out on the weekends to like hang out and whatever, my friends all had tons of money. They all had like great clothes and like, you know, I mean, one of my girlfriends in high school, I love her to pieces. She's so awesome. But I remember thinking like, what is that even a thing? She used to go and get her hair ironed, like straightened, you know, before we'd go out on the weekend at a salon. And we were like 15 years old, you know, and I was like cutting my hair at home, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so that was really strange to go from the kid who was sort of more of the have or like the, you know, like airline pilot's daughter to then, not that I ever thought that that was exciting. I mean, certainly I had richer mm. friends than myself in Canada, but then to be like the kind of poor kid around my international private school friends was also really weird and interesting. And luckily that school, unlike some of the other schools, which were very famously considered much more snobby than my school in Costa Rica, even though those kids were from rich families, the stereotype of being rich and snobby was not true. They were, they were awesome. That school was, amazing and everyone was super down to earth and like you know all my hair straightening friends and whatever I love them to bits to this day they're just the coolest people <laughs> brilliant <laughs> so you mentioned you're in Costa Rica until the age of 17 when you graduated what happened next I went back to Canada to go to university um, and I was a year younger than everybody else at the time because in Canada we had, or at least in the province that I was from, we had an extra grade in uh, high school. So everyone in Canada who was entering university was 18, but I was 17. So I was younger than everyone. And I had already been living abroad for a long time. I now spoke a second language. I had been taking care of myself since I was 10, realistically, but definitely since mm -hmm. I was 14 in a foreign country. And I was plunk, like plunked in to this university where all these Canadian kids were leaving home for the first time, you know, and they were just like discovering the world and just getting drunk and having a good time and whatever. 
And I felt like such a fish out of water because I was way, like I was super serious. I was like a grown up at this point. I was like, what is going on here? You know, we're here to get an education people, <laughs> you know? And it, it that oh. was really, really strange. Like, cause it might, like I felt such a heaviness from having to take care of myself for so long that the, the lightness and the lack of um, responsibility that the other students had at the time, I felt very resentful of because I thought like, I wish that life felt so easy. You know, I wish that I could be as carefree as you all who are just flying the coop for the first time. Like for me, it all just feels really heavy. It's felt heavy for a long time mm -hmm. and it feels even heavier now that I have to try to like make my way on my own on the next level. And then of course there was a lot of reverse culture shock, right? I mean, it's extremely hard to go back to your home country for the first time after you've lived abroad. I think when you, live abroad multiple times um, your perspective changes but certainly during those formative years of 14 to 17 living abroad and then coming back still as a young person still as someone whose brain was like changing it was just like oh my god it was such a it was such a hit and I had a horrible two years I was really depressed in university at that time so uh, after two years I I quit I dropped out I knew I would go back and finish my degree but I was like I don't want to get my education like this I don't even know what I want to do I certainly don't want to be here so I dropped out after two years because it just felt bad mm -hmm. so what happened then <laughs> what happened then did you start what <laughs> you start working and <laughs> I I I thought well I have to do something um I had had a job during those two years at university, a really crappy job. And I thought, okay, well, I think because I was having this sort of crisis of like, what, what do I do? Like, what do I even want to study? Who do I, who am I? Like, what, where am I supposed to be in the world? I was really, really, really socially anxious growing up. Um, even before my parents divorced, I was like really shy and weird and socially anxious. And then after the divorce, I got even weirder and more sort of like nervous and introverted and like very nervous around crowds. And so when I pulled the plug when I was 19, I was like, you know what? I just need to go to like a place where everything about who I am as a human being is challenged and see what happens. And so I decided to move to Japan with no job okay. lined up, no housing lined up, nothing. <laughs> you know, normal people would probably go with the jet program or something, you know. Um, but I was just like, no, I'm just going to go. And and again, this is like pre-internet, right? So, or this is er early days of internet. People had like dial-up internet then, but you couldn't just go online and search for jobs. It wasn't quite like that. Um, so, so I moved to Japan. I went, I flew into Japan with a backpack full of stuff and about $3,000 that I had saved while living in my sister's basement over the summer after I dropped out, I lived in her basement and I worked at a pharmacy stocking shelves from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. and saved up three grand. Bless my sister for letting me squat in her basement. <laughs> and then I went to Japan and I was like, okay, I'm here. I literally was on a corner in Tokyo, just like trying not to hyperventilate because there's so many people, you know? And I was like, I got three grand and I got to find some work and a place to live before this runs out. And then that all happened, you know, like I ended up spending a year and a half in Japan. It was amazing. And then I, after that, I spent six, I ended up with a Japanese boyfriend and we spent six months traveling around Southeast Asia after that, um, before I came back to Canada and went back to university 
totally different university, different side of the country. Um, and it was really honestly, Jen, one of the best things that I could have done because doing that, throwing myself into the fire in Japan did exactly what I wanted it to do, which is it helped me get super clear on what I'm capable of, what I want, what I don't want. And I came back to university, just not feeling like hundred percent clear on my life, but just going like, I'm going to be okay. No matter what I choose, I've officially proven to myself, like I'll always be okay. And that sort of opened up the next chapter of my life in my twenties. That move to Japan sounds incredibly brave. And as you were talking, I, prior to that, I was thinking, wow, there's much that I resonate with, with your story in terms of, yeah, feeling like the odd one out, um, the sort of not feeling socially comfortable with people around me, not knowing what I wanted to do really, and also finishing school early because of, well, younger than my peers because of the change in school systems that I went to. And then you mentioned Japan and I was like, no, I didn't do that bit. <laughs> I was, um, it was my plan to do something similar, but I landed in Sydney and kind of just got comfortable there and it was sort of easier for me to stay. But with what you went on to um, study later on, do you think that was influenced by your your TCK upbringing? Yeah, because I studied international relations. <laughs> I studied um, okay. science. Yeah, international relations. And honestly, I went into university thinking, you know, I know that I'm not going to get a job based on what I study. Like, unless I'm studying science or something where there's a specific career path. I mean, come on, you know, and I'm more of an artsy person anyways. So I thought I just need a degree so that I can say I have a university degree from a legit, really good university, and then we'll worry about the rest, you know? And then that made me think, well, if I'm going to spend four years in total, even though two years were already done at that point, if I'm going to spend all this time studying, it better be something I'm interested in, like something that actually helps me understand my world better, something that gives me critical thinking skills, something that like I'm not going to get bored with or feel like I should be studying because that's what, you know, gets you a good job or whatever. So I chose international relations and I studied poli sci because it was cool. And I got to learn about like, you know, the political system in China and all these kinds of things. And then all of my um, elective courses were just stuff that I thought was like, I took medieval, what was it? Medieval medieval Jewish history and a Scandinavian literature class. Like I was all over the board, you know, with my other, you know, the things that weren't specifically degree related. Cause I'm like, well, most people only go to university once may as well just suck it all up and see what I can <laughs> see what I can learn. Sure. Cause also being, being a TCK, you know, the magic of being able to have a conversation with almost anyone. Right. I mean, mm. that's a real TCK superpower. You can like be, plopped into any group, any age group from anywhere in the world and find some commonality. I love that. And so part of me studying a bunch of random stuff, because I was interested in it, was also driven by that. It's like, well, I've always wondered about like medieval Jewish history. <laughs> so I better like, I'll spend, you know, three months learning about that. And like, now, like to this day, I can have an interesting conversation with, you know, Jewish people. So, you know, it's just, yeah. It, it definitely 100% influenced what I studied 
And then, of course, what I studied had absolutely nothing to do with what I ended up doing with my life, the various different iterations of my professional life. Okay, I'll, I'll come on to that. But I'm interested because you said you, you went to Japan, you threw yourself in kind of at the deep end there. It was, sounds like a it was a sink or swim situation. Obviously, you, you swam well. Um, and then you went back to Canada again to start again with your university studies. You mentioned earlier that you struggled with reverse culture shock coming back to Canada when you were 17. Mm -hmm. What was it like the next time? Um, it was definitely similar, very similar, but it was familiar that time, you know? Um, mm -hmm. It was familiar and I... I knew myself better the second time around, which really helped. I was less hard on myself. Mm -hmm. The first time I was young, I felt like I should be doing more. I felt like the reason I felt so depressed and alienated and not like everyone else is because I wasn't doing the right stuff or because I wasn't making enough effort. And the second time around, I was just like, no, girl, you are who you are, you know, you're an introvert, you're not supposed to be going to raving parties with a bunch of 22 year olds, you know, like, it's, I just was so much more accepting of my natural inclinations. And I was okay with that. And so I, I thrived a lot more, I had much better boundaries, you know, I started to step into, strangely enough, being someone who's sort of, you know, was really anxious and whatever, I started to step into more leadership roles, in things that I was doing, like part-time jobs that I had. And even where I was living, like I lived in a student house and I was the principal tenant. So I was the one who was sort of in charge of the house and stuff like that, that I would have never done the first time around. I still felt a real divide between me and like, you know, for example, all the Canadian students that I shared a house with. Um, mm -hmm. But it was easier for me to switch between like, let's say international Heather and Canadian Heather. I would just be like, okay, I'm here now with my people that I live with. I'll just be Canadian Heather right now, you know? And you, you can kind of tell, mm -hmm. I'm sure anyone who's listening who's a TCK is like, when you're having a conversation and you start to get a little bit carried away on certain subjects, you can see people do the glaze over and you're like, oh, rain it back in, rain it back in. <laughs> just, we don't need to, that's not interesting to anybody. Absolutely. And, and that happens so often with the often dreaded question, where are you from? You can tell as you start responding whether your response is landing or whether you're just getting the glazed look. Yeah, exactly. So that, that switch that you mentioned in terms of being able to switch between international Heather and Canadian Heather, which obviously was tremendously helpful for you, what do you think helped you to be able to do that? I think it was, I think it was just trial and error. I think when you're someone who, especially someone who has social anxiety, um, you're always trying to find ways to get the least bad reaction, right? You want things to be kind of neutral. You want things to go well. And so the switching back and forth between the different versions of me came from again and again, me sort of overdoing it just by being myself, you know? I was like overdoing it, overdoing it, overdoing it. Like, and when I say overdoing it, I mean talking like international Heather to the wrong audience. And I just learned like, this is not functioning well for me. This is why you have social anxiety. Everyone, you think everyone thinks you're a weirdo because you're, 
behaving like a bit of a weirdo. So let's find, mm-hmm. like, figure out how to modulate based on who your audience is. And I think that's a really good, you know, I, I don't think anyone should ever dumb themselves down, but I think in any scenario, any scenario at all, whether you're talking to your neighbor or you're talking in front of a crowd of people, you need to know your audience, right? And that's, that's really what sort of informed that. So it was just me falling on my face a lot and being socially awkward until I was like, okay, I'm really tired of being awkward all the time. How can I, how can I control the controllables? (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. So another thing I'm interested in about your move from Japan back to Canada, did you ever feel like you really missed Japan or that maybe you should have stayed there? Did you feel like it was the right choice to have made to go to Canada? How, how was that? Yeah, I, I miss Japan to this day, honestly. I miss everywhere that I've lived. I, like, I love Costa Rica and I miss it. I love Japan and I miss it so much. I, I, I had to go back to Canada. In my mind, I had to go back because I had to finish my degree. Education was always very important to me. I always did really well in school and I was absolutely determined that I was going to get my degree. Um, I saw it as a necessary stepping stone for what I wanted out of life. Um, But my Japanese, when I lived in Japan, for the first few months I lived in a like shared housing with some other foreigners, but then I, you know, met my Japanese boyfriend and (laughs) almost immediately after we started dating, his parents were like, we don't want you to treat him like he's just your boyfriend while you're here if you're actually serious about, because like they, they're like, we love him. He's a really lovely young man. We don't want you to like be here for a year and then leave and break his heart. So if you're serious about him, like, let's not mess around, just move into our house. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I moved into his house like right away, which is so crazy in retrospect, but his family was so lovely. And so I lived with them for, I mean, I was there for about five months and I was there for a year and a half in total. So it was about five months before I moved in with him. So it was over a year that I lived with him and his family. And they, unlike most Japanese people who will you know, often invite you into their home, but there's still, a, there's still a wall. There's a cultural divide. There's an us and them. That's part of how Japanese people tend to be culturally. These people legitimately welcomed me in wholeheartedly and they got flack for it from their neighbors and the extended family and stuff. They were like, what is with this? You know, like it's too much. They were taking, they like, I can't give you specific examples off the top of my head, but I could Mm -hmm. feel it at the time, you know, and my boyfriend would say to me, he's like, you know, my parents get a lot of grief because of how, how we are with you, you know, and the way that we treat you and whatever. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're even living in our house and like, we're young people we were like 20 and 21 at the time or something I don't know anyways all this to say that when I went back to Canada I essentially left my Japanese family behind right and I was still with my boyfriend we were together but I was like I have to go to university Mm -hmm. and he is a total to this day and I mean this in the most loving way he's a total hippie he's like you don't need higher education (laughs) what are you gonna do become like a salary man (laughs) you know like whatever man he's like just like live life and he's now these days he sells like macrame jewelry and stuff and he owns like a guest house in the Himalayas and he's there like half of the year and the other half of the year in Japan so he is like fully living his dream (laughs) but you can imagine it's like very different from where I ended up because my focus was education and, and just in a different direction so he didn't support that I was going back to Canada he was quite resentful of the fact that I wanted to go and get a degree and didn't understand why and wanted me to stay in Japan so it was 
it was really tough and I missed Japan so much. And I went back and visited and he came and visited me and then he was going to move to Canada and blah, 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 blah. Long story short, we ended up breaking up and I didn't go back to Japan. Although fast forward a few years and I wanted to go, I almost went back to Japan, but then I didn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> Heather, we, we have just a couple of minutes left as usual. These 30 minutes, they fly by. Um, I'm going to they ask, you, you mentioned just before we, we started recording that you are in a slightly remote part of Sweden. What's the connection to Sweden? Well, okay, I'll try to give you the super condensed version of this because I I am obviously not the shortest winded person in the world. <laughs> but um, <laughs> after after moving around, living in a few different countries, I was living in Peru in 2012, 2013, around there. I was there for a couple of years working because I work for myself. I've been self-employed for over 10 years. So I was working from home on my laptop in Peru, in Lima. And a good friend of mine um, that I knew from years ago said, hey, I know like this, there's this company I'm working for. I think you'd be great to just come in for like a short contract, like an eight week contract to help us get the customer service side of our business up and running because I'm a certified life coach. And so that's not my main business, but it's a certification that I have. And I was like, sure, I'd love to come work in Antarctica. That sounds great on cruise ships, you know, just for eight weeks. So I pushed pause on all of the clients that I had and I ran off to Antarctica. Uh -huh. And of course, fell in love with a Swede who <laughs> was working on my team, oh, okay. working on my team on the expedition ship. And then we fell in love. And a year and a half later, we were married. And I moved to Sweden from Peru to be with him. And then since then, we've opened another company together. And it's just kind of gone bananas from there. So that's how I ended up in Sweden. I went from Peru to like friend conversation to Antarctica to Sweden. <laughs> That's a nice, happy story, and that, that's a beautiful way to finish off today's podcast. <laughs> Heather, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. It's been wonderful speaking with you as well, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to People Like Us. If you'd like to join an online community full of people like us, hop over to Facebook and search for People Like Us. You'll find my group and you're very welcome to join us.